Support for All My Friends Are In Bar Bands comes from three different places, and I'd like to tell you about them now. Support for All My Friends Are In Bar Bands comes from Sad Girls Club. Sad Girls Club is a collective of Australian non-male music industry professionals aimed at promoting gender diversity in Australian music. For more information, you can head over to sadgirlsclub.com. That's sad, G-R-R-R-L-S, club. Dot com, where you can look at everything that they have coming up and download a copy of their latest compilation, The Bands of Breaking Up. Support for the podcast also comes from Spit the Dummy Records. Spit the Dummy Records is a Sydney DIY independent label, a distributor of dead formats to the masses. Right now they have pre-orders up for new releases from Treehouses and Suburban Haze. For more information and pre-order details, head over to spitthedummyrecords.bigcartel.com. And support for all my friends are in bar bands comes from you. Well, potentially, anyway. For as little as $1 a month, you can help keep All My Friends Are In Bar Bands up and running online and throughout the universe. So, for more information on that, head over to Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash barbands. B-A-R-B-A-N-D-S. And you can be as cool as... And I hope I'm getting this right. Chris Panagiotero. Really hope I got that right. I usually just call him Chris P. But thank you so much to him for pledging $5 towards the podcast every month. He is our latest patron, and it is very, very much appreciated. You are all very, very much appreciated. You are helping to keep this show up and running. Showing some love for a small-time, independent, bedroom-based podcast that likes to get out into the world once or twice. So, uh, for more information, head over to patreon.com slash barbands. That is B-A-R-B-A-N-D-S. Alright, let's get on with the show. Howdy folks, David Jamjong here with another episode of All My Friends Are In Bar Bands coming at you like a shark with knees. Hope you are doing very, very well indeed. I hope you've got a lot planned for this weekend. So many cool people in town. It is Blues Fest time, people. So a lot of really super awesome, high-demand international acts are going to be gracing stages in Sydney, Melbourne and Byron Bay, obviously, over the next week or so. I'd really suggest getting in and among that because it's fucking cool to have them all here. Also, some really cool local stuff going on. Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, you guys know the score. Get out there and support some live music. 
no matter how big or how small, it's really, really great to get out there and experience everything that live music has to offer in this country. I'm your host, David James Young, and I have a very, very busy weekend ahead. I have uh, some really cool uh, plans for the podcast. I've got some cool guests lined up, and you should see the backlog I have at the moment. Holy shit. <laughs> if I keep going at this rate, it is going to last us through to Christmas. I tell you what, if if there's, you know, like, a sudden shortage of guests, you know, of people that I can talk to at any given time, I can go, oh, bugger. Oh, wait. No, that's right. I have about 10 ready to go in the bank. It's a cool feeling, man. And I'm really excited to share these guests with you. Including this week's guest. Uh, this episode is with Marcus Whale. Now, uh, another artist outside of the realm of, I guess, rock music and punk music and I guess even pop music to an extent. Uh, Marcus Whale is a singer, he's a songwriter, he's a composer, an arranger. He uh, performs regularly with acts like Collarbones and Black Vanilla, both of which he is a founding member of. He's also performed solo both under his own name and under the name of Scissorlock. And he's had a bunch of other projects kicking around over the years. Basically, if you've been to something uh, kind of on the verge of electronica and kind of in the realm of that that kind of, I guess, cool inner city sort of stuff, inner west sort of stuff, then there's a good chance you have seen Marcus Whale perform. He's an absolute star and one of the kindest and most intelligent young men out there right now. He has his debut solo album coming out in June. It's called Inland Sea, and he is launching the new single, uh, the debut single, from that record called My Captain. And he is launching that tonight at the Red Rattler in Marrickville, which is a wonderful, wonderful room. And if you're in Melbourne, he will be launching it next Friday at uh, Good Manners Weekly, uh, which is a event put on at Boney in the city. So check that out if you are interested. I definitely think you will be interested after hearing this chat. Uh, like I said, he has a very, very different background to a lot of the people that I talk to on this show, and that is something that I pride myself on because I really, really want to switch it up and get some more diverse and more really interesting people on the show. I did promise Charlie Parr this week, but I figured that the scheduling surrounding the single launch made perfect sense, so I've pushed Charlie back to next week, but Charlie's the kind of guy that would go along with that, so uh, you'll be hearing from Mr. Charlie Parr next week, but for now, it's time to talk to Marcus Whale. Hi everyone, I'm David James Young and all my friends are in bar bands. Today I would like to introduce you to my friend Marcus Whale. Hi, how you doing? I'm very well. How are you, man? 
really, really great. I'm a bit tired, but really enjoying this wonderful afternoon sun. Yeah, Yeah, you've had a pretty packed weekend already, haven't you? You played in Melbourne last night? I did, um, with Collarbones. Yeah, Yeah, nice. How was that? It was super nice. It was like, it was at this uh, place called Boney. Okay, where about is that? It's in the CBD, and um, every Friday... The last couple of months, the, uh, Good Manners Records have been doing a um, weekly show there with electronic, sort of live electronic right. acts. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. And, and they, they have a really nice crowd and a really nice vibe there and sort of been, it's been really great to um, to play some collarbones again because it's been... It's, oh yeah, it's been a little while since you guys were performing yeah well like we played one gig in november at the david bowie exhibition oh yeah 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 and but it was it was super weird and like totally irregular so it's nice to play in a club i don't think yeah it hasn't been a collarbones club show since probably march wow yeah 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 yeah. and uh yeah today you played uh, under your own name uh, which is something you've been doing a little bit more of recently uh how are you feeling about that like obviously like uh you're not new to performing or anything like that, but putting yourself out there like purely under your own name is a first. I've had various projects as a solo artist. But yeah, yeah. Like now, I feel like I have to live up to the responsibility of my my actual name or persona. Sure, like, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, so it's been it's been really nice because that now I feel like doing what I want to do, like in a kind of instinctive way. It's really easy. It's really really easy to just want to make music to serve a purpose like you know like make dance music which I, I do enjoy like making yeah, dance yeah, music course, for people to yeah. dance to making choral music for people that worship God to or like whatever whatever uh, I feel like this is the first time I've really purely just followed like an instinct so that's it's really enjoyable it's like totally self-indulgent but like really enjoyable for me yeah it's been really cool to watch man it has been so I'll take it back to where we met which was approximately four or five years ago uh this is how long ago it was it was uh at a venue that no longer exists opening for a band that no longer exists uh it was a milk bar in King's Cross opening for the dearly departed Otto Uto uh the wonderful wonderful Melbourne band R.I.P. R.I.P. indeed. Hi to all those guys if they're li- on the very, very off chance that they, they're listening. Hi, Martha. <laughs> Did you know Kishore does, like, uh, yoga for old people now? It does. This, I mean, his name is Kishore. Like, of course. <laughs> it's a very yoga instructor name, isn't it? Well, I mean, it's, uh, it is an Indian name, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Namaste. Namaste to you, brother. Um, but, yeah, I remember that vividly because I was, like, 20, 21 at the time, and... I guess being like a, like a small town, like South Coast backwater hick, I'd never really seen this before. You two, you and Travis walked up, security was just like, what are you guys doing? And you're just like, oh, we're in a band, we're performing tonight. And he just looks you guys up and down and just goes, band, where's your bloody instrument? And Travis just nonchalantly just swings his laptop bag and he's just like, well, here it is. And I'm just like, oh, it's all on a computer. It's all on a computer. <laughs> And fast forward six years, or five years, yeah. and um, 
what are we all doing? It's what still, are we all doing? Still mostly computers. <laughs> it's, it's just it's, it's, it's just now two computers yeah. rather than one. Yeah. But, but then we're also surrounded by other people who make music with computers, so it's yeah. not so lonely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Who's the weirdo now, right? Yeah, yeah. We, we were like on trend. Hell yeah! Damn right, dude. So I guess that's an interesting one to to start off with. Let's talk about the beginnings of Polymones because that is a very very different story to. I guess how most uh, of the people I talk to, how their bands start, you know, it's like, oh, we were kicking around in high school or we knew sort of the same people. It's just like, you guys didn't even meet for like 18 months, two years, wasn't it? That's right, yeah. Um, so Travis and I met on a forum on the internet. Uh-huh. Uh, what was the forum? Afterthepostrock.com. Oh, right. So it's a post-rock forum. Uh, I was really big into post-rock. Travis was really big into music piracy. So, um, I think I, I was also just looking for lo- allies on the internet a lot. Oh, sure. Time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, I yeah, went when to... when you're a, growing up, like, yeah. sometimes that's your, your only kind of solace, isn't it? Well, I went to, like, an all-boys private school I got a scholarship to, so I, like, had, like wasn't in the same social, like... Echelon is the people that went there right, and like had yeah, different yeah, interests yeah. And, and blah de blah and um, so I would, would often go to the internet and make a lot of friends on the internet and talk to them a lot on MSN Messenger sure and and most of the people that I felt dearest about when I was 16 were probably people that I met on the internet yeah of course um, yeah and so Travis is one of them I um I think I, the first message I sent to him was just like, wow, how cool, you're 16 and you're also from Australia, let's chat. And I think like secretly I, I like, I was like kind of eroticizing the potential of like, of like us being like two like teen boys like into post-rock, like I, I found it super, like it could, could have been super sexy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it wasn't. <laughs> I, I really wanted it to be, but it, it wasn't. That's alright, that's alright. <laughs> I mean, but yeah, it was, it was more like the imaginary potential of it was erotic. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I like to think of you guys as, you know, like best friends forever, you know, that's just still a good relationship to have. Yeah, well, it's the kind of relationship where we, where we talk every day, but I like, feel like I'm constantly putting him down. Like, I, it's kind of bad, actually. But it, it's, it's more the function of being able to say anything to someone. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, so, tell me about how you originally got interested in music. Because, uh, specifically, the point where it went from, oh, this is cool, I like listening to this and stuff like that, to, well, this is what I want to do. I want to sing, I want to play instruments or whatever. Well, I, I suppose, in, in a way, music... Ever since I had motor skills, music's probably the, the thing that I was best at. Sure, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Like, I started piano when I was four, so it was, like, pretty pretty formative. I enjoyed playing piano. I felt like it made me feel good about myself. Um, yeah. It gave me an identity. Because it's really, like, you don't really have much of an identity when you're a younger person. No, yeah, sure. So it then takes the form of whatever you're your activity is like I used to enter the talent contests and every year win like the like the most original act prize because oh, wow. like because who else would like turn up to the talent show and like play a like boring like Mozart minuet you know <laughs> and um, but I took pride in the fact that that you know that that was what I was like I was like the piano guy 
so I suppose I've always had that in my identity um, and it's just evolved over the years like I stopped playing piano when I was 14 and uh, by that point I was like quite good at the saxophone oh really yeah yeah um, and then, but then I also played guitar and I used to write songs so yeah there were always lots of outlets and it was always like the number one thing on my radar yeah. yeah do you still play many instruments like these days or do you focus in on one particular thing I definitely I definitely spend most of my time making music on the computer yeah right um I tried to play saxophone the other day like I was trying to like improvise a really cheesy sax solo over this um kind of this boy band music I was making for this uh film soundtrack uh, right yeah yeah and um more, more like kind of like boys to men style sure, boy nice. band and um yeah so I was trying to do this sax solo and it just sounded terrible like my tone was so kind of weak and classical and like all I wanted was to sound like Kenny G and it <laughs> Isn't just... that what we all want out of life? I mean, really. <laughs> I think definitely there's a stage. There's a stage, at least as a sax player. It definitely wasn't when I was young because I was a bit of a snob, but there's a, there's a stage now where I would really just like to to raunch the shit out of some yeah. saxophone. Hell yeah, and I ju- But I just can't. I don't have the... I don't have, like, the technique. Like, my technique is, is like, all classical. Like, I played classical saxophone, so my technique is all about making the sound really round and, 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 and very kind of uh, smooth. Yeah, and so, so. so there's no, like... like kind of, Well, I suppose Kenny G has this kind of smoothness, but it's different. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I wanted, I wanted the raunch of, like, something more... more honky like right like anyway I, I just couldn't get it I, I, what I really wanted was the saxophonist from Sade oh shit yeah nice but um, sadly <laughs> sadly it was inaccessible to me and, damn and the sax solo was just like really insipid oh damn but that's okay so, so that's sort of like the evidence of how far my instrumental skills have yeah. slipped because I spent all my time on the computer yeah do you remember the first time that you performed in public? You were a you were a choir boy, I believe. I was a choir boy. That's right. I um was a choir boy at St Mary's Cathedral for two years when I was in year five and year six. Yeah, right. It's, it's a kind of a really intensive experience because you're doing choir practice like three times a week, and you're in a class. Like I was in a class of twenty kids. Oh wow! In, in five, year five and six, we're all choir boys in a high school. So there's this one primary class in this high school because St Mary's Cathedral School is a high school. Yeah. Um, so your social group is tiny. You're constantly singing, like yeah, three times a week, practice and one usually like the Sunday mass and then sometimes a Wednesday. Wow. Night. Yeah. So, so it's just like piece of singing, um, which is like incredibly formative for me, like musically, uh, like. I don't know, developing my sense of pitch and stuff, and and like, and and also on, on on some level, like like making me not embarrassed to sing, which is like sure, yeah. I think when you're a kid, it's like everything's so embarrassing. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, totally. Mm. Where you're just like, oh no, don't make me do this in front of other yeah. people. You know, I just yeah, it's something you totally. so you so associated with just like doing it by yourself and on your own and things like that. Where it's just like. How don't you do it in front of a lot of people with with other people? So it's like, oh well, this is completely thrown out any uh, preconceived notions that I had about what singing is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a different vibe when it, yeah, singing in public is is like a pretty it's a strange thing. Yeah, yeah. 
were you were you nervous going into doing that for the first time? Like, was that something where you were just like, this is gonna be fucking terrible? Like, the audition is nerve wracking. Yo, sure, so yeah. So you go yeah, in yeah. and you sing. Like, I got singing lessons before I did the audition. Yeah, yeah. And this like funny woman in her school, like, yeah. And and my audition song was this like weird like Christian song called "Bless This House." Okay. And um and she taught me vocal warm ups and. Anyway, it was definitely really nerve-wracking, but once you're in the choir, yeah. you become just one voice in many. It's definitely intimidating the first practice we had, like, because meeting, like, 20 new people, mm. um, meeting the choir master, well, not meeting the choir master, but, like, having the first sort of experience yeah. with the choir master. It's definitely nerve-wracking, but, like, you get used to it, and, and it's so much easier being in a group. Yeah, totally. That's obviously quite a stretch from the kind of music that you do now, like, uh, Growing up and into your teens and uh, moving away from that sort of stuff, like what got you interested in in making the kind of music that Collarbones ended up making, at least initially? Well, I suppose that kind of follows from the post rock narrative because I was just heavy into post rock and then also kind of electronic music that was vaguely related, like right. like uh, I don't know, Quartet, Quartet, sure, yeah, French and um, Burial, Burial. Uh, well, I, I kind of didn't get big into burial until later until after the fact yeah right um, I think what I was into was like a lot of uh, stuff like why like on the Anticon oh, label yeah 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 hell yeah that was like that was big for me um, Mibio like warp artists like Flying, Flying Lotus was massive for me yeah, yeah yeah so it was kind of just like dudes dudes nerding out on the computer and so that's that's what that's what we became I think with Collarbones um, but it definitely it was this narrative from, from like being a post rock snob to being like an like an uh, kind of electronic music snob of various kinds. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just as long as you're keeping your snobbery up in some way, yeah. shape, or form, I think that's the most important thing. But the kind of interesting thing though is that like as soon as I started doing it, I kind of shed my snobbery and got really big into like pop music. Sure, yeah. I was like a real late bloomer with that stuff. Because um, I, well, when I was really young, what I was into was like rock music, metal. Yeah, new, yeah, yeah. Well, not metal, but new metal. Oh, like yeah. Corn and Pantera and Deftones and stuff. So I was always a rockist. Always yeah. like anti pop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so coming to pop music was like a big part of the Colorbands narrative. It's like. Sure. I mean, also at the time, you had to understand that it, like being an indie band could mean anything from like being you know like a conventional like pavement style band to being like a, a sort of semi-electronic thing like Animal Collective or something and we were kind of like still situating ourselves socially in that way and like FBI was sort of our native station and yeah like sure. it had like very little to do with dance music like it was like electronic music from the prism of um like indie like whatever that even means sure yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like the the blogosphere era. Mm. Like it's, it's sort of very difficult for people to kind of grasp the feeling of it. Um, like chill wave. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Chill wave. That was a thing. That we was were a like, thing we did. We were deliberately trying to be a chill wave band, and I think to our to our benefit, we weren't able to really capture that sort of sound. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, Beeman Park was kind of chill wave. It had a kind of sort of Toro Imwa, like plagiarism yeah. sort of flavour. <laughs> but ultimately, we like, we'd never actually executed anything kind of well enough or with enough analogue equipment to really do that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So it ended up just being this like really messy mix of like influences and attempted mm. like 
like kind of bits and pieces yeah, um, yeah. like really patchy I suppose that's sort of what we maybe eventually intended because we just had no equipment and, and yeah. like few skills yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got to know about that first collarbone show because, like, that not only would have been the first time you guys played live, but also the first time you guys like would have properly met as well. Actually, that's it's not true. Oh, the first, really? The first Here time we, go. we met, first time we met, I was doing my solo project Sizzlock in a oh, backyard, right. backyard show in Melbourne. So right. yeah. I, used, I used to go down to Melbourne sometimes, and because I had these friends that I met on the internet in Melbourne course and mm. um and i'd also sometimes but this is when i was when we were 17 travis and i wow yeah um, he was down here for meredith and we both happened to know the same person off the internet who was having a house show in her backyard because she was just like super cool um did you know that you guys were going to be there or was it one of those yeah like- no we knew <laughs> no that would have been it would have been like incredible like literally incredible yeah 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 if um if i ran into travis and that's it um but i was I, yeah i was just making this at that stage i was making ambient music uh kind of like um i don't know like stars of the lid or something guitar right, ambient, yeah, yeah guitar yeah. based ambient music and so i met him and we made out he was really bad at making out <laughs> that is on the record <laughs> on the record Travis is really was at least at that stage I mean, he might have just been he, he claims that he was sleep deprived and that's the reason why he was so bad at making out <laughs> alright alright we'll take his word for yeah. it but the, fir- the first show was one and a half years later um, right. The, yeah, I met him before we started making collarbones. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think after we met, we we started making music together. Okay. Right. Um, and uh, and then the first show was about eighteen months after that. Where was that? It was at Cosmos Rock Lounge. If you remember Ooh, that venue. Where in, was that? In Marrickville. Yeah. Right. It was like a rehearsal studio, and you could also hire it to put on a show. Um, and I had been hit up by either Sleep Makes Waves or. Signal Hill so it was this LA the headline was this LA band called Signal Hill who sounded very much like Explosions in the Sky right okay and um, and yeah they just wanted they were like coming to Australia just wanted to play a show Mm. and so I put on this show with like Sleep Makes Waves who are obviously much more popular now than they were then yeah Um, and this band Claire Audience and then we were opening and it was uh, two laptops I think no Yeah, two laptops and just us kind of like bobbing up and down behind the laptops. I remember that. I remember that. There's a lot of that. stage, yeah. Yeah, all that bobbing up and down. Now I'm a lot more... Yeah, you're a lot more out the front. Yeah, now I'm I'm just like obnoxious. (laughs) But back then it was cute and and sweet and shy. How did that live show kind of develop? Like going, like kind of getting out of your shell a little bit and... uh, like, you know, getting out the front a little bit more and doing that sort of stuff. I think I got frustrated with my lack of kind of agency over the crowd. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, like, I think it's 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 sometimes really hard to get a good vibe when you're behind the table as a singer. Maybe not if you're doing something behind there, but as a singer, it's really hard. So started doing things like just coming out the front more and trying to make my body language really strong and decisive. Um, and that was that was a really really big part of like how the show evolved. And then also a lot of the songs became way more focused on the vocals. Like our first album, the only I think maybe f- four or five of the eleven songs have lead vocals on them. Oh really? Yeah. And so a lot of them are just these like little shitty like bits of um, samples and and um, kind of weird experiments and um, like all of it sample based. So it, it just sounded like this like mishmash of 
it was sort of in like in the context of stuff like girl talk or whatever right. like, really yeah, yeah, and yeah, Jay yeah. Diller um, so it's like real it like, almost it just felt like a bit of a kind of mixtape or something um, so the vocals were less important than than with Die Young our second album like there's vocals on every song yeah yeah and um, and then so that like really influenced how we performed after that tell us about the start of uh, Black Vanilla how that kind of came about so I met Jared on the internet like like I met everyone else but he, he knew the people that I knew in, in real life so yeah. that was a bit of a change um, Jared used to uh, write a chill wave blog to- called The Life Aquatic really? Um, yeah he did and it was very successful and I contacted him by email to get him to uh, post about our cover of Justin Bieber's One Time. Great cover, I remember that. Oh, thank you. I, I, I don't know whether it's st- I don't know it stands the test of time. But <laughs> we'll see. Um, and then I met him in person because yeah, he was friends with my friend Kareem, and he came to a show shortly after that. Right. With Laverne and introduced me to Laverne, this guy. Like, and I yeah, was, yeah, 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 yeah. I was aware of him because Gare was like big on the bloggosphere. Oh yeah, yeah. And um, this is 2010, like December yeah. 2000. And he sang on the second record as well. He did. So, so like I have known Laverne for as long as I've known Jared, but Jared introduced me to Laverne. Right. Yeah. Um, and then about six months after that, we started. Like we really hit it off. Like we actually just became really good friends, and we uh, just decided to play. Well, I think what it was is that uh, Levan and Jared were making music together, and I was really jealous. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, hey, I can do stuff with you guys, and like kind of weaseled my way into their, like, um, bro down. We just started playing shows, and it was, it was like, it was pretty atrocious, to be honest. Like, it was like, uh, sort of sub R. Kelly, like, like almost, almost a little bit racist, because it was like a bit of a... It was like kind of like oh how ridiculous and funny is R and B, but like yeah. but at the same time I like we all love R and B so but it was like definitely probo but it was yeah we were like kind of being a bit theatrical and like, kind yeah. of cabaret uh, and Jared played an SP but then over time we gradually kind of got a bit more serious about it initially it was only a live yeah, yeah 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 and we only I'm really glad because our early songs are just really bad like really bad. Um, Definitely my influence on them was really bad. Like, Laverne always had, like, a kind of really nice vocal tone. Yeah, yeah, Jared's production was quite nice, but, like, yeah, I was always just a massive clown. Yeah. (laughs) And so you've gotten up your confidence a lot more, like, by the time the Black Vanilla came around. Mm. So, like, I can only imagine those early shows would have been, like, uh, pretty, pretty, like, uh, high energy from the get-go, like, quite similar to what it's... Uh, now it was I, I used to actually play saxophone oh no shit like live live saxophone um, we had this song called um, I don't know oh, I can't remember what it's called but we had this song that was like kind of like our sort of hit of the time and there was a section in the middle where I did in which I did a sax solo and I'd go into the audience and do this sax, like it was it was ridiculous it was like silly that's so good it was cheesy it was deliberately ironic um all the things that I would like never consider doing today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're post irony, you reckon? I'm so post irony right now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so 
So tell us about the beginnings of uh, of performing uh, under your own name and uh, getting the idea of like the double drums and stuff like that because like yeah, it's another very different project to pretty much everything you've done previously. Like it, yeah, it doesn't quite fit into anything. Like you can't really compare it to anything you've done before. Not really, no. And, and that was totally the intention. Yeah, of course. Um, so I didn't have a dream, but I was falling asleep one night a bit over two years ago. Right. I started hearing all this, uh, all these ideas, and it was sort of clear that these were ideas that I could execute on my own in a really different way, and like trying to use um, acoustic instruments more. And the sort of ethos behind it all was to link together all the different things I like to do. So like making music electronically on the computer, um, making pop music, Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then also the, uh, like at my, my degree, my sort of qualification is uh, in classical composition, and so folding that in as well uh, to, to sort of create this, this kind of type of music that, that sort of doesn't get really done very much, I suppose, like, like there's, there's Björk, there's yeah. these New Puritans, there's like Scott Walker, like, sure, like yeah, all, yeah. all very, very different acts that uh, try to skirt a lot of different, um, not, not even necessarily genres, but approaches and kind of um, ideas about what, what music should be, how to write music. Yeah. Um, so that's where that came from, and I actually made the album before I started performing. Like, oh, really? Made pretty much the whole album, which is coming out in um, June, I think. Um, and like made the whole thing. Like It took about a year. I got a grant to do it from the government, which was like... Oh, wow. Yeah. So, which allowed me to do all the recording with the um, strings and the horns and stuff. And, uh, and also uh, got um, Nigel... Yang from Hate Rock to co-produce it. Nice. Um, so we worked on it for about a year. And did, then we started did performing. Did Ivan and Russell play on the record as well? Or? No. So the drummer on the record is Brie Van Rijk. Oh, she's incredible. She's yeah. amazing. I, I kind of like... And, and I performed with her for a while, but she's just really busy. Oh, she's, always, she's just yeah. like an incredibly busy person like she's in Sydney Percussion obviously she's in Ensemble of Spring she plays in like five different bands yeah she was playing with Paul Kelly for a while she, she played with Paul Kelly and then she also lately has been doing uh, this kind of um, art stuff as well with um like performance space and like she's got to work in the Sydney Festival yeah, so yeah, she's, yeah. she's like super busy and she goes overseas a lot as well so it's hard, hard to yeah, pin she's down yeah, yeah, yeah. so getting Ivan and Russell is sort of like okay like they're gonna be around all the time and um, yeah yeah sure Ivan's also super keen and like really like an incredible drummer and like oh yeah he's a mastermind incredibly useful person to to like have like helping me out with the live show yeah the idea for the drums I think came from because I originally I had all these wacky ideas about bringing the trombones and having trombones sort of play in the room yeah yeah like around people for the whole set but then it sort of occurred to me like with all the drum kind of like percussion and drum heavy stuff like um, it would be really kind of dramatic and interesting to watch to have these two drummers behind me and then the rest of it just being on, on the on the backing track. Brilliant, yeah. So the record will be out this year, solo Yeah, record? on Good Manners Records, yeah. Excellent. Oh, what's it called? It's called Inland Sea. Inland Sea. Awesome, man. I'm really excited to hear it. Have you got anything else planned for the year? Like, uh, just going between Black Vanilla, Collarbones, and, and, and Marcus yeah. Ware? Yeah, so, so this... Uh, 
there's going to be this first single uh, after this album very soon, and yep. then after that, a Black Vanilla single. Okay. And then maybe a Collarbone single, and then another Black Vanilla single, then the Mark Svell album, then the Black Vanilla mixtape. That's like the first six months of the year. Oh wow! Um, so the, it's, all guns blazing. It's like it's all kind of happening at once. Like I haven't. Put, put no music out in the last six months the sort of yeah yeah or almost no music in the last six months of last year and then everything's just all happening at once which is cool because like it like further justifies me not doing like proper full time work right yeah. <laughs> uh, which um which is good like it means like uh, I feel like I'm a legitimate you know I'm like doing legitimate things and being a legitimate yeah kind of productive member of society yeah. you're a valued valued member of society oh uh, thank you dude you're, you're welcome no, you're, you're a valued member of society uh, you're too kind man I do what I can <laughs> alright so wrapping up here but before we do that uh, I asked this to follow my guests and now it is your turn sir okay I want to know about your best and worst experiences as a live music performer ever feel free to start on either or some people like to end on a high note and some people just really like to bring people down at the end of the podcast so uh, how, whichever way you choose to do it is entirely up to you but the floor is yours you know I've had a lot of really bad ones and really good ones I'm trying to think what would make the best story <laughs> so New Year's Eve 2012-13 I think this isn't the worst performance but it's the one that made me the most kind of unhappy oh right I think the one that affected me the most okay so who was this with this is collarbones okay black millers generally had like good ones yeah 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 apart from a couple of crummy ones but generally like I feel more reinforced in those situations yeah so it was New Year's Eve at Terrace Bar it was like this uh, event uh, that had uh, Midnight Juggernauts DJs us some other people oh Horse MacGyver oh wow kind of amazing so it was um, like a really cool lineup. Uh, but I think by that stage Terrace Bar had like become sort of this kind of trendoid bar the tickets were $50 and it was like New Year's Eve so people like went there so they could have their sort of you know New Year's Eve experience in this kind of trendoid place that's like cool or whatever in Newcastle because they don't have many small bars so we were performing and it sort of we were performing overlapping with Midnight so the first thing was that literally no one was listening to us so like people on high chairs with high tables sort of chatting away and um, sort of made most most absurd by the fact that that's probably where the, the kind of time when Collarbones was the most emotionally overwrought so like pouring my little heart out like Travis is there as well like pouring his little heart into the MPD and um, and like like to a point where like no one no one was um even sort of acknowledging us at the end of a song. Oh, really? So you wouldn't so, get applause or anything? Wouldn't get applause. So, uh, so I just, I, I feel like the banter would have been pretty hilarious to listen back to. I, I don't know what I would have said, but it would have been like definitely really bitter and really like passionately unhappy. Yeah, yeah. Um, we tried to do a countdown, but no one was listening. And so I feel like you can't really, you can't really beat. New Year's Eve trying to do a countdown and no one even cares. Oh, 
that's heavy. No one cares about your new team countdown. dude. So, we, yeah, we just sort of uh, dropped, dropped the ball there. It was like the wrong context. Yeah. And it was shit. And there's, lo- there's lots of other stories like that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll give you a bonus one because I think this one's probably a better story. Okay, here we go. So, the most interestingly bad show that I've ever played. Right. So it's 2009. Okay. February 2009. Um, I'm on my first sort of, not my, no, my second interstate tour as Sizzlelock, which is my ambient project. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Guitar yeah. ambient project. Yeah. And um, it was with Crab Smasher from Newcastle. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Who were, who were really cool people. Yeah, and we had Marnie on the, with Hannah Band before. Oh, yeah, great, yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. So, like, yeah, Marnie, Grant, Nathan. Yeah. Um, I think Nicholas was there as well. Yeah. Um, so it was really cool. We played, we played at the old bar. Um, we played at, I think, maybe Glitch Bar. Right, yep. And um, it was really nice. We like hung out with Go Genre M- Everything, who were like an incredible yeah. band. Like, really amazing band. You know, had a great time. This also coincided with the first time I was um, rejected from a venue. Oh! I was 18, and, and uh, I really wanted to go to this gay night at um, IQ. Okay. And and I was I was rejected for reasons I still can't remember. So there was like a number of disappointments, but a number of like joyful moments as well on this trip. So our last show was at Pony, and we decided to do a Crab Smasher and Sizzlelock collaboration. Right. Like not that my contribution would be very much, but it was just Crab Smasher featuring. Yeah. Uh, me. You just happened to be there. Yeah. I happened to be there. Yeah. On um doing like kind of noisy vocals. It was the 2am pony slot, which is kind of notorious. Yeah. And it was after a metal show of some kind, I think. So we had our friend Dan doing sound, who isn't really a sound guy, and lots and lots of DI'd things, like there were probably like 10 DI's on the stage, mining on the drums, guitar, bass, um, and there were still 20 people lingering there, like all men, all like metalhead men, and we... We started off, and because this sort of like levels were all wrong, we didn't have a sound check or anything. Um, There's like heaps of feedback, and like someone was yelling from the background, like, "What the fuck are you doing?" Like multiple times. So it started really great, and then got better. We basically just made like the most evil sounding music we could possibly do. Like apart from like Marnie just like playing the drums really joyfully with a smile on her face. Um, but like, like an inexcusably long amount of time, like an hour or something like that oh wow um, and my laptop was down in the mix so far that I I had to like max it out on, on my what would have been like like five times over so everything was like really fucking distorted and really intense and like really messy and like no one knew what was going on at all it was like just like an unholy messy like weird loud experience at Pony for an hour and all of the metalheads stayed they all stayed like, I don't think a single person left. And when we finished, finally, after this horrible set of, like, a ridiculous amount of time, we stopped, and there's no clapping. There was no... There's nothing verbal. They just stood there for, like... It was a good 20 seconds of us just staring at each other, like, like the six of us just, like sitting there like we're done and then just kind of being I really don't know what the emotion was I I mean I feel like maybe we just had been so draining but I I think maybe they, they like 
maybe respected how like messily extreme we were being, so they stayed, but then they didn't want to clap because it was obviously terrible. Um, so there's just like this like really weird sense of like just just like late night. Um, strangeness that just doesn't really happen these days um, and it kind of really can't be replicated yeah it's the strangest most interesting performance to my, my life like to this day is seven years ago yeah would that count as a best or a worst then? I think it's it's sort of both, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, leaning towards worst. <laughs> That's wonderful. Okay, so Inland Sea will be out in March, did you say? Uh, June, I think. June? Wonderful. And um, my captain will be out in the second week of February. All right, well, it'll be out by the time you hear this then. Great. So go check it out. It is a masterpiece, and uh, I'm very, very excited to hear this album, man. It's going to be real special. Uh, Thanks a lot, David James Young. You're very welcome, Marcus. I'm David James Young, and all my friends are welcome. This has been a David James Young Writes production. For more information, visit davidjamesyoung.com.